Welcome to Disney Symposia, where we'll talk about all the different tips, tricks, and also just different ways that we find joy in Disney. Hi, everyone. I am Liza. I am a copy editor in New Jersey. I sort of zigged and zagged to the copy editing job. I work um, in, at an advertising agency. I guess I sort of zigged into that from academia, and I have my PhD in literature from Fordham University. And yes, I'm a mom of a six-year-old. I live in New Jersey. That's it. And I've been a lifelong Disney fan, have loved Disney ever since before I can remember. It's always just been overarching. One of, one of the decorations on my wall was a big Mickey and Minnie with a heart in the middle. Um, and that was just always one of my first images. Uh, and you know, thoughts in my head as I woke up and I would see Mickey and Minnie. <laughs> so that's my intro. I am a Danica and I am a, a sort of a mid-range academic <laughs> in my professional life. In my personal life, I am a, a mother of three and a, a wife of one. <laughs> I have been a Disney Parks fan, I feel like my entire life, as it was something that was very aspirational uh, in, in, my, in my life growing up. Though the first time I was at a park wasn't until I was in my 20s, and that was Disneyland. And subsequent, I've been to uh, Walt Disney World several times, and I'm always sort of obsessively planning a new uh, Disney World trip. And I'm excited to hear from these fine ladies, uh, their their thoughts about how to travel smartly and how to just thinking about different critical ways we can examine uh, the whole Disney empire. I am Elizabeth and, or Liz, I still haven't decided. What am I being called? Okay, we're going to go with Liz. I think, did I, I don't know. Anyway, like Liza and Danica, I also was in academia, kind of tangentially still am in academia. Um, my degree was in medieval history. And I am also a mom of three, wife of one. And I am also a lifelong Disney fan. And I kind of did not have a choice. The first time my I went to Disney World, I was 12 weeks old. I have uh, multiple older brothers, we, big family. And my parents fell in love with Florida sometime in the mid-1970s before I was born when they were driving down for a February visit. It was really snowy in New York. They rolled across the Florida border. There was sun, there was orange juice at the guest center. And they were like, oh my God, why do we not live in this place? And then they went to Disney World. And again, oh my God, why is this? So we are complete Disney people. We are the people that when we go on vacation to other places, my siblings and I say, wow, this really reminds me of Disney World. And my dad just cringes, but it's his fault. And I am really looking forward to this because I love talking about Disney, but I also... I like it when I don't have to pretend everything is great. And so I enjoy the fact that we're going to kind of use both a loving but critical lens to look into all of this. Why don't we begin by by addressing why, why Disney? Why is that something that that has sort of found its way into your, your heart and mind and um, perhaps your glass of wine at night obsessively planning your next vacation? <laughs> <laughs> 
as a, as a random <laughs> experience. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean like we might have the My Disney app on our phone and just check line times even when we're eight hours away by car and there's no way we can get on um, anything? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know anyone who would do that at any point and try to see all of that. That's it certainly does, not me. I mean, it does feel like it becomes like an, a little bit of an extension of, of you. Like my, so you guys both mentioned the first times you visited parks. My first time was as an adult, as a mom, um, which was so crazy that I had never been there before. It was something that my family always aspired to, to, and talked about, but just could never swing it money-wise or, or just my parents also were not as adventurous. They, you know, neither of them flew, really liked to fly. It was always something that was just heavily in our lives through media and music and stories. And my very first earliest Disney memory besides the Mickey and Minnie poster that was hanging above my crib was Cinderella. And it was the story record, the record. It was a vinyl read-along book. It was like see the pictures, hear the story, read along. And I used to, you know, hold that book and listen to the record and sing the songs. And it was just my very favorite thing in the world. And I just chatted with my mom before this because I was like, I want to make sure I have my Disney facts right. Like my Disney in my life facts, right? And she said, yes, that was your very first um, love. And we had every single book of Cinderella that was ever made, you know, the golden book and any sort of iteration of Disney, uh, of Cinderella, we had it. And I had never even seen the movie because at that point you couldn't really see it. It was in the theaters when I was one. I didn't go. They didn't take me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go to the movies at one year old. Um, they, <laughs> but my parents just, you know, it was in the air. It was, they grew up with it. And um, so that was sort of my first love. And then I'll just, I'll cut this off soon. <laughs> but then as I got older when Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King came out. That was sort of the core four movies when I was around 9, 10, 11, 12. When that storytelling pull just really sort of crystallized for me and I realized there was, you know, the myth and the and the retellings and the visualization just all sort of enchanted me and and just set me off on just being a Disney groupie. I think well, so, I mean, I kind of explained why, right? My family just, we we got really deeply embedded before I was even born. We probably went even before my fourth brother was born. So it was my three older brothers. And it's really interesting that my parents fell in love with Disney because they're not movie people. Like they don't, they occasionally took us to movies growing up because you occasionally take your children to movies. But it was never that they found pleasure in going to the movie theaters. My brothers and my sister and I, well, my, definitely my brothers, are big like Lord of the Rings people. Like all of that. We're like, oh, yes, we would do this. I don't think my parents have ever seen them. My parents just started watching on Disney Plus The Mandalorian and have never seen the Star Wars movies except maybe when they took my older brothers when they were originally in theaters, like the first ones. So it's it's interesting that they they got to Magic Kingdom and they were just blown away. And maybe it was the immersive aspect of it. Maybe movies were just not immersive enough for them. For the rest of us, we just, that was where we went on vacation a lot. Two of my brothers have worked for the Disney company. 
I've had sister-in-laws who worked for the Disney company. We know a lot of people who have worked for the Disney company. It's just been a big part of our lives. The month before Tyler and I got married, my sister convinced my parents that we should all go down to Disney for like a long weekend to like relax and do whatever. But we all like, it's just like, it's this place we go and we're like, yep, that's it. And we don't even have to do anything when we're there, which I obviously now I have kids and they want to do things, which fine, but I can just sit somewhere. Like I will go and sit at the beach club and I could do that for four hours and be happy as a clam. It has, it's become this, this, this drug of choice where that's where I go and that's where I refill. When I, after having my three kids and being a stay-at-home mom with them while I was writing my dissertation and working part-time and being completely like depleted of all reservoirs in my, or reserves, not reservoirs, reserves in myself. There was a Mother's Day when my youngest, she had stopped, we're being really open here. So she had stopped breastfeeding. So I didn't have to be home for that. I don't know. So she had to be over a year. That's a big moment. Well, right. So she was, she was over a year. We were done for that mother's day. I told Tyler and my parents, my parents live right outside Disney. So I said to Tyler, I am just going to go and stay with my parents for the weekend for mother's day. I don't want it. That's it. Like I'm leaving you all here. And I did. And it was, it was wonderful. And I just went and I got to walk around and my parents came with me because they were like, really? You're, you don't, I don't know, but it was nice. They bought me things like I'm not going to not going to mind. But we have tons of pictures from that trip where we like went in and got pictures with like Mickey Mouse at Town Square. Like that's what we did. So now it's me. Well, they write it's me, my parents who are slightly older in their 70s now closer to whatever. I'm sure my mother will say, no, I'm not anyway. But so, yeah, it's just like this weird mental space where it it seems to make all of us siblings and me. And it's I don't know. Again, I guess it's that immersive aspect of the whole thing, but now we just kind of breathe it in. And so sort of coming from what both of you said, like I kind of almost forgot about this memory, Liza, but my first like Disney experience was that I had the Aristocats, not the Aristocrats, the Aristocats record. (laughs) And I listened to that all the time. And I had like, you know, I had pretty sassy, uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty sure like stage worthy dance routines and reenactments you know and I had the you do remember the brown Fisher Price record player yes, like that's, that's what exactly. I exactly yes yes mm-hmm. yes that's what I played it on and and again like I don't remember the movie that much I can't imagine we went to go see it in the theater I remember seeing Fox and the Hound in the theater which probably destroyed me to watch movies for a good decade <laughs> like it was so, so, oh man it's traumatic um, it's traumatic it's really it's really <laughs> I had like a visceral um, reaction when you said Fox and the Hound I was like oh it, oh it's so traumatic someone hit me like <laughs> like why why you know there's just there's a lot of choices you can make in storytelling and you don't necessarily, (laughs) well, I'm just like, (laughs) this is a little bit tangential, but my sister, when she was like six, they re-released Snow, you know, when they used to re-release, I think they might still do this, re-release the movies and they re-released Bambi and my little six-year-old went with her friends to go see it. And then there's, you know, and then, right, Bambi's mom and she was just, you know, they they had to like they caught her like halfway down the mall. She just like ran out of there. That she was like, I'm I'm done. Like, why would I, why would I possibly subject myself to a movie where it begins by mom just like, you know, getting shot? Which I think is 
pretty like a, 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 a lot of self-knowledge in that six-year-old mind of my sister, right? Like Impressed. listen to the Aristocats album all the time. And then, like I said, there was a, a moment when I was in, I think, 20, where my family had be, sort of was able to afford a, a trip to Disneyland. It always seemed really aspirational to me. And um, and like sort of what you said, Liza, like Disney trips are a lot, not just finance, financially, but figuring it all out. Like, a, you know, a, a, some parents don't have the time or they don't have the energy or the interests and to do that. But I really took the reins on it and we had a it was great. And then for my honeymoon, we went to Disney World. And what's funny about it is that my sister-in-law offered us her timeshare in Orlando. And we were like, well, you know, it's kind of looking at other places we, were, we could go because we were like, I mean, like Walt Disney World, right? And then we're like, I guess, you know, we'll just go there. I'll be fine. It'll be. And it was just, you know, we were just like having like the, the like there was just no dignity the entire time we were there. <laughs> like it was just, you know, you just, just like check it at the door or whatever. And they got had the ears with the with the veil and stuff. I was like, I gotta do that. I would also say how the immersiveness and to sort of is what I love so much about it. And what I think of as like the this is gonna sound so corny or in my daily life, I hate manufactured joy or whimsy. So like, you know, if I see like a wine glass that says like wine o'clock, like I want to, I want to throw it at somebody, you know, like I'm just, I'm, I'm, in, it's, I'm infuriated. In fact, like it's just that, you know, like a sign that's like eat, pray, love. I'm like, uh-uh, not today. But at Disney, that sort of intentional joy is, is so well thought out and spends, people spend so much time, I mean, years and years upon years of, and of traditions of, upon traditions of sort of creating these levels of joy, just even like, you know, in these, like the doors you see on the beast castle that are all sort of scratched and you're like, oh, cause he made them. And just this little, like these little moments where you, you see things and they, and that those layers of intention of trying, of people putting together, trying to make dreams come true. I feel, I mean, I really feel that when I'm there in this way that um, is different when I see a wine o'clock wine glass. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I feel like with the, with the wine o'clock and the eat, pray, love, that's like an escapism from like our daily lives, but it's like that small, minute, or it's supposed to be, right? Like this small, minute escapism, self-care, whereas Disney's like, oh, we're not small. We're going to go and we're going to go big. <laughs> like you're just going to throw it all and you're going to do it all. And I'm like, that's right. I don't need like a, a little thing that I, I chuckle at. I'm like, I need, I need the big thing. And that's going to be yeah. me, you know, unironically quoting Bean Bunny from the Muppets at, at Hollywood Studios. That's fine. If that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And there is, it is sort of about like this, ability to be expressive right like it's like not th there is a depth to it that is that just penetrates beyond that like sort of trivial wine o'clock thing it's like there's feels like anyway i don't and i know this is intentional but it feels like there's a story behind it there's like you said there's there's family traditions that you mm -hmm. can imagine the stories that have been made there and that's sort of how I felt when I went there, it was like there, I, I was becoming a part of a story that was different than it's it different. It felt, it felt, didn't feel cheap. It didn't feel like a cheap, like, like 
sign that you put on your mirror or like decal for your wall. Like it felt like a history and being enveloped into something. I don't know. Well, I think with the envelopment, because what I was just thinking is it's also when you go to Disney, you are largely surrounded by other people who love Disney. Even if you're not talking to them, that there's that general vibe. And so you're also not alone in that joy. I mean, obviously, there are going to be people there who don't love Disney. My husband, which is why we barely bring him. My husband's always like, oh, do you want me to go? And I'm like, no, no, the <laughs> girls and I've got this. <laughs> We do not need you there. You go maybe once a year, maybe. And I don't actually need you because you're like, oh, we can leave now. And the girls and I are like, no, we're, we're staying until, until somebody's passed down and I'm carrying them out of the park over my shoulder at this point. I'm married to people who do not feel that vibe from Disney. Yeah, <laughs> one, of, one of my husbands, uh, right? We had to clarify how many we had. So the one husband, huh. Um, and he comes from a family that doesn't love Disney. And it's partially they also they don't like crowds and they don't like this and they don't like that. And so whereas I like I like also completely tangential now, I love standing in the middle of Grand Central Station. Like I love being surrounded like by just coursing people with places to go. And that's Disney too. You got an energy from it. Oh, it's great. So I do think that also differs for me from the wine o'clock where like in my head, I'm kind of like, well, we're all doing it right now, but I'm actually sitting here alone with my whimsical glass. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, even just for the for this little recording session, I felt the spirit. Like I was like, let me get my glass slipper necklace from when I was five, put that on. I, you know, got my cool jacket that just feels like Disney to me. It's not Disney, but it like feels like Disney. It's like a little bit mini red roses, black and white. I don't know. Like it just felt fun. I actually made a rookie podcast mistake. I put on earrings, but then I realized that that's not going to work with the headphones. So, (laughs) but I have my, it's my little, um, poison apple earrings that I love. It's just, Oh, wow. You got to embrace the, the Disney villains too. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's absolute facts. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like too, like the whole, I was surprised my husband, by the way, I'm a wife of one as well. (laughs) (laughs) My husband, I did not think he would fall into the Disney under the Disney spell when we went and he totally did, which was so, it was such a happy, that was so much part of my happiness, right? Like he just enjoyed seeing our daughter enjoy it and, and seeing me enjoy it. But there's something about the hospitality level at a Disney park that is just beyond. And you alluded to this, Danica and Liz, like the detail, the level of details, like this, you know, every little thing is thought about. And I don't know, I think it just adds to that magic and that, you know, that feeling that you're in this story world. And it's not, it's not like a, it's not just a surface. It's deeper. It's got, yeah. And I think just to, like what uh, Liz was saying about being in Grand Central Station. I agree with that, except that it's like at Grand Central Station, except everybody doesn't mind that you have a bunch of kids with you. Oh God, yeah. And I, I just feel like everything, like I'm like, oh, look at like, I can get, you know, get on the monorail or get on the, you know, get on the bus transportation. And I don't feel like, you know, I only have 33 seconds to do it. And I'm not apologizing to everybody. Or I remember one time, our first trip there, we went to dinner at Sinai and you know, and they, they, they were like, oh, we have iPads for your children. And I was like, thank Christ. Right? 
<laughs> and they just gave my kids iPads mm-hmm. and I got a, I got a wine flight and it was mm-hmm. wonderful, you know, and like, it was kind of like my husband and I had like our own private dinner and our kids were being entertained, but we can go to really, we can go to nice restaurants mm-hmm. with our kids and they don't, nobody blinks an eye, but also it's in there, the kids are included in, in the experience, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and that just makes just such a world of difference as a mom. Like I don't have to, you know, we're, the last time we were there, we, we lost our kids a couple times. Even that, <laughs> white fights, right? <laughs> and, um, and the first, the first time we lost the kid, a different kid, kid one, you know, we, we actually had to tell some people it kind of got kind of serious. And it was like, it was like that somebody had shot the president. I mean, there was a, a full lockdown and it was, you know, you could just tell people were like, not on my watch, you know, there <laughs> it was. And, uh, you know, this is how I feel kind of about COVID at Disney as well, is that, you know, nobody wants your kid to die less at Disney than, than you know, than Disney, right? Besides me, right. besides myself, right? They're like, no, we can't, not on our brand, right? And <laughs> and I just feel like that's infused throughout the whole, like I'm mm-hmm. I'm there with my kids and it's, I can relax and wait, not because I'm worried about losing them because apparently that's just how I work, but, um, but because... But because I know that they're treated with the same sort of respect that they deserve, that adults are are allowed at every other place, you know, in the United States in, in ways that is, is not really, you know, is sort of frowned upon. And that's um, another reason why I, you know, going to Disney, I know it's going to be easy once I'm there. That actually might be one of the reasons why my parents liked it so much, because my parents are the people who bring their kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like we have always been brought to everything where other people are like, don't your parents want to leave you home? Like, so they can have a nice night out. And my parents are like, why? Like, we're just, we go in a giant group. And while you were saying that about the kids being included, it's back in like the eighties or nineties, instead of having like downtown Disney or West side Disney or what Disney Springs. Now there was pleasure Island. Were either of you there when there was Pleasure Island? No. I saw the tail end of it, but I'm oh. so obsessed with the, oh. what's the Congolouche place? Oh the, my the God. Okay. Club. That's what I have to talk about right now. That's what I was literally here to talk about. <laughs> I want to experience it. When Pleasure Island first existed, some of my so some of my siblings are over a decade older than us. So some of my siblings were old enough to do stuff. Actually, I guess the oldest three, two of them were already working at Disney. So they were already living down there. So that was awesome. That was an awesome point in my life where every August we would just go down for two weeks and sleep on the floor of my brother's apartment and just go to Disney in August for two weeks. Like my, my dad would stay home because he was like, no, thank you. And my mom would take me, my little sister, my older brother, we'd get in the car, drive to Florida, sleep on futons. Like that's how we did this for two weeks. And my mom would take us to Pleasure Island because that's cool. Let's go to Pleasure Island. But the only place that it would allow people under 18 was the Adventures Club. No way. Oh my god. So I, oh my god. So I have so many memories because that's what we would do. We'd go to Pleasure Island and we'd go to the Adventures Club. But I mean I remember being like eleven years old and they interacted with me and my younger sister and my older brother like we were full adults. They would make jokes to us. They would do all these things with us the same way they did with their adult people who are walking around. Also, fun fact, a bunch of them were on various Nickelodeon shows at the time. So like the principal from the show, like 15 or whatever, was like one of the guys. And I would like sit there and be like, oh my gosh, why are you on TV? This is so exciting. And you made a joke to me, just me. But no, so that's this thing. Like even on Pleasure Island, which was supposed to be, you know, the adult time fun getaway, they had a place where kids could go. And this was apparently designed by Joe Rohde, who just retired. And I had no idea of this. Like some of the things that were in the Adventures Club, he found while traveling the world and just stuck on the wall. 
and was like, there we go. That's part of this. <laughs> they included us. When I finally went, when I was over 21, mm -hmm. and I think I went for my 23rd birthday with just my little sister. We went down there. I had a job. Like I had graduated. So I had my, my little paralegal income. And we went down there and she was still under 21, but we could go to certain places on Pleasure Island. And that was still there. But it was just like, yeah, no. Oh, the Adventurers Club was delightful. When I when I got my dissertation, I had seen at Animal Kingdom a sign for the Adventurers Club, like a wooden sign. And it was it was a few hundred dollars. But I was like, when I get my dissertation, I'm going to get this. Or when I defend my dissertation, I guess I should say, I'm going to get this. But my parents actually bought it for me as my, like, you, you finished graduate school gift. And it's hanging on my wall in the other rooms. It was a great place. I miss the Adventures Club. Although, of course, from a critical eye, now I'm like, what would I see there and go, oh, God, what are we doing? And I try, but there you go. So we can talk about that. We can deconstruct this Adventures Club because I'm sure there was a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a, I mean, the animal I mean, the whole is the best place on earth, but at the same time, you... You know, I, I try to see it from a a, yeah. a, a post-colonial lens. The Adventure Club Not sign. Yeah, no, well, the, it has the pith helmet on it, right? And you're just like, oh. Anyway, yeah. so anyway, Adventures Club. Yeah, we could spend a whole episode where we all look that up in the Animal Kingdom and just are like, yeah, I know. what should we be aware of? <laughs> but Joe, Joe Rody also did the Animal Kingdom, right? So yeah. I guess... <sighs> Okay, that was my really excited outburst about the Adventures Club because nobody ever wants to talk about it. Well, my I, siblings. <laughs> I'm, I'm newly obsessed with the Adventures Club. And I was at Pleasure Island on my honeymoon, but I think we were like, I'm not. And it was kind of closing down then. And I definitely yeah. was like, I'm paying like $10 to get into this. What? Like I was, mm -hmm. you know. And I do get, like, I spend a ton of money at Disney, but just I also get really cheap there. Like, oh, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, we're going to spend a ton of money on food. And don't you even think that we're going to buy a churro? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, a, it's very categorized how, where the money goes. No, like none of the, the kids always want to play the, the, the circus games at Animal mm. Kingdom. I'm like, uh-uh, no, mm -mm. that's $10. No, no, we don't do that, no. And um, because I teach, I always get Starbucks gift cards from parents as like holiday gifts or like end of year gifts. That's now how we get snacks at Disney. I literally just really? bring the Starbucks gift cards and I'm like, okay, who wants a cake pop? All right, we're good to go. That's so, brilliant. yeah, I feel really, really good about that. Thank you, parents, for, for adding that to my Disney fund. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about, it was when we were answering the question, like, why Disney? Why do we love Disney? Or like, what are some of the arguments like from non-Disney, non-Disney fans or that you would hear like or conventional sort of like sort of uh arguments against it right like it's it's all commodification it's it's too expensive it's manufactured joy and like sort of how we would how we would rebut that you know like how would we what would our rebuttal for that be and i mean it's a lot of what we just said but i mean it's it, it was easy it's much easier for me to feel that magic now that I've been to the parks. Mm -hmm. I always, always, yes. you know, had the Disney sort of frame hanging around my life. But now that I've been to the park, I can honestly say like, it's, it's not it's a money grab. It's not just a, mm -hmm. a capitalist, you know, horror show. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not articulating it well, but do you guys know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
I do. And I read somewhere actually, which and this is astounding, but um, <laughs> that actually Disney for the level of service it provides could actually charge a lot more, but they do have to keep it. They purposely keep it in a sort of below what they, I mean, they charge a ton of money, but, but below what they could, what they charge so that it is, it is aspirational, but reachable because to have that reachableness, maybe you're not going to go to Disney World, but you're going to go see all the movies. Maybe you're not going to go to Disney World or you're going to go to Disney World one day, but in the time being, you're going to buy this merchandise. Mm -hmm. So kind of keeps it in a, in a way, uh, keeps it in this way that is sort of a, almost accessible for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I also agree. And this kind of like brings me to like, I think the last point that we wanted to talk about, like why a podcast, like why do we want to do this? And I do think one is that the Disney podcast world and Dis Twitter is very like male led, right? And it also then ha kind of has that, you know, uh, I would say very uh, masculine binary thinking, right? Like I, I, like I can really love Disney and I can also spend, like I spend a lot of time in cabins without like internet, right? <laughs> like I, I can do both those things, right? Like it's not, <laughs> you can, you can have, find joy there and you can find, you know, it's not an either or like you can mm -hmm. be like, this is such a fun, crazy, exciting place. And I really wish that it was more accessible to other people. And I think it's weird that, I don't know, that, that, that this thing, this attraction exists or that they yep. made these choices for this attraction. Mm -hmm. And you can also be, and you can also like love all these other things about it. Like it's not, it's not an either or. It's not like everything's over because Disney stopped doing these things or Disney now is, uh, you know, too diverse or these sort of things. All these different complaints that we hear, it's that sort of binary thinking, which I think has really taken over the Disney fan uh, media, social media, mm -hmm. is it's it's boring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's more, it could be more complicated and yes. complex mm -hmm. and nuanced, mm -hmm. you know. And that's exactly what makes it exciting is that complication. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think um, so when you were saying, Liza, like what not like non-Disney fans say, I think also we hear a lot like Disney is very anti-feminist or non-feminist in a lot of the stories. And so, Liza, when you were saying like the 90s, right, like the, the Renaissance Disney movies. But yeah, they are like The Little Mermaid. And even so I was I went off last week to Danica about Beauty and the Beast being all about like how he needs therapy and he's an abusive whatever. But it is, it's it's those ideas. And now I think Disney's trying to kind of rectify and swing some things. And they've also done that with rides. But that doesn't mean that we can't still talk about it and say like, yes, what is this idea that Disney has put out there? And I, it was the book in like the 90s or something like Disney Ate My Daughter or something mm -hmm. like yeah. that. And a lot of people, you know, were like, see, this is how Disney is doing this. And it's like, well, on one hand, yes. And we can totally talk. This is like probably another whole episode of topic. But it's kind of like also to me, I see it also the same way people are like, oh, cell, cell phones or social media is destroying X. And it's like, well, I think it's a lot more complicated than that one thing doing it. It's a big component. It should be addressed, but it has to be addressed on a different structural level than just if we took away Disney, this would stop. And so I think that's why you kind of have to also work to keep pushing back on all of this stuff. And that's another reason why I want to do this podcast, because I think there's a lot of things where people, and this is not just Disney, they, I, they decide that something just because it has existed that way for, you know, tw 10 or 20 years has always existed that way. And it can never be changed or modified as opposed to seeing like 
how so much of what we know is fluid and has changed. And so why, why do we insist that it cannot change? And I am interested in kind of having that as someone who, again, is a lifelong Disney person who probably went to Disney when I was in my mom's womb. Like, let's, let's talk about the fact that I don't need it to never change. Although if they bring back Horizons, I will be on that line for like six hours. That's the ride I would wait for forever. But other than that, like, you know, I would. So, yeah, I'm excited to do this because I love Disney. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that there are things that need to be dealt with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You both hit the nail on the head. It's it's this it's not this binary thing and that and you can live in many spaces at once in your head and in your heart. And I think part of why I was super interested in doing this is sort of self-analysis too. I mean, I, I think that I think of myself as a critical thinker and a feminist and I buy my daughter every princess toy in the entire world. And we talk about it and we talk about, you know, all different kinds of things. We talk about princesses and we talk about, I don't know, under the sea life and the solar system. And I mean, we just, it's, it's just anything that sort of brings magic and curiosity to her um, and in, feeds that in me um, is something that I'm drawn to. And I do think I'm, you know, slightly, I, I just, am, I'm aware that there, that there's, there, it's at times problematic, but the joy is undeniable. The magic is sort of undeniable. So it's just like, well, what is that? And how does that work? And what, yes. you know, yeah. And I, I think the storytelling part of the whole thing is is sort of what underlines everything for me. I really do. I think that if if I went back in my history of like all the things I wanted to be, like when I was a little girl, like what do you want to be when you grow up? So much of it actually had to do with Disney or my love for Disney. I wanted to be a an animator, a screenwriter, a voiceover actress, a, a songwriter, a film director. All of these things were because I watched The Little Mermaid a thousand times and Disney and Beauty and the Beast. And when it got nominated for an Oscar, it was like one of my most exciting moments as, as a little girl. And when they did that, you know, animated dance on, on the Oscar stage, Belle and, and the Beast, it was just, you know, kind of blew my mind just technology wise, innovation wise. I was always just excited about the the boundaries that the Disney was breaking or creating. I don't know. I mean, it's so complicated. That's why I think part of why I wanted to do this is like a little bit of, uh, you know, for some insights mm -hmm. on myself. Yeah. Mm hmm. Thank you, everyone who has listened, and we are so happy to have been here again. I'm Liz, and I've been joined by Danica and Liza, and we are, we believe, Symposia Disney, but we will get back to you on that one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Bye, Thank kids. Thank you so much. Thank you.